First John chapter three and verse one. First John three, one, the first word of this verse is behold. Somebody say behold. What in the world does that mean? It's not a word we use very often. Behold. I don't know when the last time you said that to somebody was, hey, behold. But it just simply means look. It means I want to show you something. And you could say it if, if you're looking one direction and somebody's looking in another direction and you want them to look the way you're looking, to turn their attention this way, you'd say, behold. Or you might say, look at this, look at this. I want to show you this. And that's what this word is trying to communicate here in this verse. Behold, look, I want you to see it. And that's the way other translations say it. See, what are we supposed to be looking at? Behold, what manner of love the Father. Can you say the Father? Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. What is it we're supposed to be looking at? What is the Spirit of God saying here through John? Behold, look, I want to show you something. We're supposed to be looking at the love. Looking at the love of the Father. The love of the Father. And he said in this verse, this is what our eyes is supposed to be on. The love, behold, look at the love of the Father. The love that the Father has bestowed upon us. One translation, the, the Weist translation says it like this. Behold, check this out. What exotic and foreign to the human heart love the Father has permanently bestowed on us. Exotic and foreign to the human heart. Exotic. I like that word describing the love of God. Foreign to the human heart. Or in other words, before this agape love of God had come on the scene, the human heart had never experienced anything like this. Never seen anything like it. The only love that man had ever known was a circumstantial love. In other words, it was a love based on what was happening, what they could see, what they could feel, what they could put their hands on. And, and love for somebody else had, had limits. I love you as long as you're doing for me, as long as you're giving to me. And if you do for me, I'll do for you. If, if you won't for me, I won't for you. Those were the limitations of human love. But then the love of God shows up. Not just the love of God, the love of the Father. The Father. And this was an exotic love. This was a foreign to the human heart kind of love. This was a love that said, I'm, I'm going to do for you even though you never have done for me. I'm going to love you even when you hated me. I'm going to love you when you were dead in sin, dead in trespasses. I'm going to love you despite, in spite of anything you've ever done. And the human heart's going, wait, what? Look, Huh? Doesn't even make sense. Not to the rational mind, no. And this is one of the things, and we're going to get to this today, but we're going to have to stop trying to comprehend the love of the Father just with the brain. It won't work. I said it won't work. 
Jesus was speaking in the book of Luke chapter 12. He said some very weighty things in this chapter. But he said to him, this is an interesting thing. He said, do not fear those who kill the body. Don't be afraid of somebody who can kill you. He said, I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear the one who, after he's killed you, can throw you into hell. Not words of Jesus we talk about a lot. <laughs> fear him, he said. Ugh. I'm so glad that chapter didn't stop right there. Because the very next verse, Jesus began asking questions. He said, are not a few sparrows sold for a few copper coins? And yet your heavenly father, to, to him, you're worth more than they are. He went on to say, the very hairs of your head are numbered. You know what he said on the tail end of that? Therefore, do not fear. Isn't that interesting? Just like a verse and a half ago, he was like, you should fear the one who can kill you and throw you into hell. And if, and if that's all you knew about God, then yeah, you'd be in terror of him all the time. But here's what Jesus said. Don't fear him. Why? He loves you. The one who has the power to kill and throw you into hell, instead of doing that, you know what he's doing? He's loving you. He's loving you. How do you know he loves you? Well, Jesus used this as an example. He said he knows the very numbers of the hairs on your head. Now, there's a few people in my life that I love, and I love dearly. I love greatly, and I have no idea how many hairs they have. And we've heard this verse for years and years and years. Oh, he knows how many hairs you've had. And usually people, that, they usually take that opportunity to make a joke. Some of you guys, it's easier to count now than it used to be. <laughs> oh, Lord. But actually, if you read the, the original writing of this, there's something in the language, and I found this in a commentary once, that, that doesn't just, it doesn't just convey the idea that he knows how many hairs you have. It, convey, it conveys the idea they're all numbered. In other words, you could take one out and he could tell you what number it is. My question is, okay, why? Why? And I believe what Jesus is saying is your father loves you beyond your ability to, to mentally, rationally wrap your eight pounds of grain batter around it. So quit trying. Don't try to grasp it here. He loves you way beyond your ability to grasp it here. The love of the Father. Behold, what are we supposed to be looking at? The love of the Father. I've been thinking about my dad the last couple of days. And when I was in junior high, my dad took on a new role in my life. For the first, what, 13, 14 years of my life, he was dad, just dad. But in junior high, I think long about seventh grade, my dad, my mom and dad, became the pastors of the church we were attending. And we'd gone to this church for years, and there'd been uh, a couple of different pastors, and the church had been small. But when mom and dad took the church, I'm telling you, the, this grace and anointing came on them, and it came on the place, and it grew, man, and it grew quick. We were a small church, maybe, on a big Sunday, a couple of hundred people. But right after mom and dad stepped in, it began growing. 
it doubled and it doubled again and there's hundreds and hundreds of people now coming and it's not just a one Sunday morning service. It turned into two, then it turned into three. And so much of my life, junior high, high school, the years beyond were spent right there on the front row listening to my dad preach. He became my pastor and it was a new role for him to have in my life. And I've often toyed around with the idea of writing a book, my life on the front row, the trials and triumphs of a full-time preacher's kid. And I figured out something real quick, man, when, when mom and dad are the pastors and you live life right there on the front row, you, you basically living in a fishbowl. But I told my mom something one time. I said, I figured out, look, if you're going to live in a fishbowl, you might as well just keep the glass clean. You know, just, and I, I also learned an important lesson that no matter what I tried to hide, my mom talks to God and he talks back. So there was no use in trying to hide anything. But I did. I sat there on that front row for years, junior high, high school, and the years passed. And I listened to my dad preach. And I listened to him pastor this church and pastor our family. And I, I don't know how many, seemed like hundreds, I suppose, of messages that I heard him preach. And good messages, messages on faith and family and messages on healing and salvation and prosperity and wonderful things. And I watched my dad's personality come out in his preaching. And uh, there was one year, though, I think I was about 18, 19 years old. I think maybe I just graduated from high school. And my dad preached a message, and it was a message that came to define him. It defined him as a man. It defined him as a minister. And it became the message that for years, people in our church and people even outside our church who were hearing him, that's what they knew him for, was, was that word. He preached a message called, my father loves me. My father loves me. And it came out of a unique time in my dad's life. At that point, they were probably, they were less than 10 years into pastoring. I think in the next year or so, I think they're getting ready to celebrate 30. I'd have to go back and count. So this is still relatively early on. But like I said, I mean, it was pedal to the metal from day one. And the growth that was taking place around him. And when the church grows, then the staff grows. And it's a big domino effect. And of course, responsibility grows. And there came a time in my dad's life, like I said, when I was about 18, 19 years old, where there had been so much going on. They had just, within the last year of that time, built a new sanctuary. The church had so outgrown this little chapel that we were in, and people were coming, and had two little, little tiny bathrooms in the back, and every Sunday there was a line out the door, people trying to get into these bathrooms, and space was so limited, we had to build this sanctuary. And if you've ever launched into a building project of any size, any kind, you know it takes a lot. Well, we went from a chapel that sat, I don't know, maybe 300 people, something like that, to building a sanctuary that sat 15, 1,800 people. This is a big jump. Takes a lot of time. Takes a lot of money. Takes a lot of people. And I look back on it now and I can see that was a really intense time in my parents' life and in their ministry. And I think it was probably one summer we were getting away as a family vacationing. And we went up to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. That's where my dad's from. 
And so I spent my whole childhood, at least once, if not twice a year, going to see family, my grandparents up in the Northeast. Loved them, loved that part of the country. I feel like so much of who I am comes from, from that side of my family, my dad's side of the family. And so we, here we go again. We're, we're loading up. We're going to go see grandma and grandpa. But dad says in this message, my father loves me, that the first day we got there, I guess we had gotten there, gone to bed, slept that night. And he said the first day that he woke up there, the Lord spoke to him and said, stay in bed. Which you got to know my dad. That's a big thing. My dad's like up with the sun, man. I mean, and he's, he's going, he's, he's praying, he's before the Lord, he's working, he's working out, he's got a staff and, and there's a lot going on. So if dad sleeps in, it's like all the way to 645, you know. I did not get that gene, <laughs> but he had that. And when he woke up that morning, the Lord said, stay in bed. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to take the next hour and think about my love. And dad said in this message that he had come to a place just before that in his life and in his ministry where he was hungry for a relationship with his father. Not his earthly natural father. He had that one with his heavenly father. Now here's somebody who's been pastoring for years and in the ministry for years and years before that. And you might think, shouldn't you have a relationship with the father? And of course he had one. But can you hear this? There's a hunger for more. A desire for more. And you might think, well, you're a pastor. You're, you're supposed to have a relationship with God. Well, that's certainly true. But... Just because there is a very significant spiritual element to what I and Sarah and other pastors do, you got to understand, it's also a job. And even if you love your job, you ever had a day where you didn't love your job? One of those days? One of those weeks? One of those months? Maybe one of those years? And here he, here he was, right on the heels of this major building project, and I remember as a kid watching mom and dad go through this, and there was a time we had gone away, I think, or maybe they had, and came home early from the trip because the building was getting more expensive by a million dollars every day he was gone. He's like, I need to go home. <laughs> and that kind of pressure was on him. It had become jo a job. And he said in this message that he had developed, even in ministry, a, an assembly line mentality. Going through motions, putting things together, next, next, next. And there was this hunger in him for a relationship, a freshness with the Father. He talked about how, without realizing it, he had moved over into this performance mentality where he had found himself, and maybe he wouldn't have said it this way, but he realized it later, trying to earn the love of God. Look what I'm doing in the church. Look what we're doing in the ministry. And the Lord told him, stay in bed. And I want you to lay there. And for the next hour, just think, just meditate on my love for you. And so that's what he did. And he had such a unique experience with the father. And, and to talk about it, it's so simple, but I watched the way it impacted him. And I watched what came out of him after that. And it was this message and this, this not just a message, but a new way of life. And dad said, he, as he laid there in bed, the, only, the, the big revelation that came out of that hour, you want to know what it was? My father loves me. There it was. 
the big revelation. My father loves me. Where'd that come from? Beholding the love. Just sitting there, laying there, thinking about it, meditating on it. That's what beholding, that's what it is. That's how you do it. He's looking at the love of God. And the big revelation that came out was, my father loves me. And what the Lord was able to minister to him in that time was, George, I love you right now. And there's nothing you can do that makes me love you anymore. There's nothing you can do that makes me love you less. He said, I love you. He said, I love you without another sermon preached. I love you without another project accomplished. I love you without another soul saved in an altar call. I love you. And the big, heavy revelation that came out of that time was my father loves me. Can you say that out loud? My father, my father loves, me. loves me. Say it like this. I have a daddy. Have a daddy. And he loves me. He loves me. Here in the book of 1 John, as you read it, you begin to realize that's what this theme of this book is. It's about the fatherhood of God and the place we have as sons and daughters in his family. And we would do ourselves a favor to remind ourselves often, all the time, that what we're a part of as Christians is not a religion. It's a father and his family. And that's what God was hungry for when he created man, hungry for fellowship, hungry for a family. Here in 1 John, I was reading to you from chapter 3, but even if you just back up into chapter 2, he said in verse 15, don't love the things or don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, the Father, the Father. And if you take this little book of 1 John as a whole, you see that coming over and over again. The Father, the Father, and he uses this language. He talks about how we are of God. He says we are born of God. That's here in chapter 4. Look at that. He said in verse 4, you are of God, little children. Can you see this? What does it mean to be of God? Well, I have two children, Justice, our daughter Jessie. That is justice of Jeremy. That is Jesse of Jeremy, her father. He's talking about being born of God. He said, you are of God, little children. You've overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. Look at verse 7. But I want to read these verses to you. But every time you see the word God, I want you to see and say and think the Father. And it'll help you renew your mind to the one that we're talking about is God, but he's not just God. He's your father. He said in verse 7, beloved, let us love one another for love is of the father. Everyone who loves is born of the father and knows the father. He who does not love does not know the father for the father is love. In this, the love of the Father was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love the Father, but that he, the Father, loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if the Father so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
He said, no one has seen the Father at any time. If we love one another, the Father abides in us, and the Father's love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He, the Father in us, because the Father has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of the Father, the Father abides in Him. Can you see what's happening every time you say that? Your mind's being renewed. I've got a daddy. I'm not a fatherless orphan. I have a father. And on top of that, he loves me. Say it again. My father loves me. He said in verse 16, we have known and believed the love that the father has for us. The father is love. And he who abides in love abides in the father and the father in him. Thank you, Lord. One of the key verses that came out of that message from dad that the Lord ministered to him was found in the book of Deuteronomy chapter seven. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to it. It says in verse six, Deuteronomy seven, six, he said, you're a holy people to the Lord, your God. I'm going to say it to you like this today. You're a holy people to the Lord, your father. He said, the Lord, your father has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people. He said, for you were the least of all the peoples. But verse eight, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Why did he do that for them? Because he loved them. Because he loved them. Did you notice this? He said, he didn't choose you because you're more than everybody else. When God was choosing this nation, he did not choose them like somebody picks teammates for their basketball team. I'll take the big guy. I'll take the strong one. That's not how God chose these people. He said, he didn't choose you because you were more. He didn't choose you because you were mightier. He didn't choose you because you were impressive to look at. He said, as a matter of fact, you were least than all the people. Why'd he choose you? Come on, church. Why'd he choose you? Love. One reason. Love. When he was looking at us, we were not the biggest kids. We were not the most powerful kids in the line. We were not the strongest, most impressive looking. Why did he choose us? love. My father loves me. The New Living Translation says it like this. He said, the Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations. You were the smallest of all the nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. Man, that's it. It was simply that the Lord loves you. Not something you did to impress him. Not something you did to earn his respect or to earn anything from him. He loves you. Come on again. My father loves me. My father loves me. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. 
You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.